involved Winona of the Lenape, William Tecumseh Sherman, William Penn, and Johann Augustus Sutter. The controlling element, the theme that guided the basic structure, was plate tectonics. The plate tectonics revolution had occurred in the 1960s, and when I set out on my travels, the concept was not without detractors. I wanted to see who was opposed, and why, and in what ways the new theory was being tested and applied. There would be plenty of other matters discussed, but plate theory was paramount. The structure is not linear, not a straightforward trip from New York to San Francisco on the interstate. It jumps about the country. For example, it begins in New Jersey and leaps to Nevada, because the tectonics in New Jersey 200 million years ago are being recapitulated by the tectonics in Nevada today. Now, with its completion, the project represents the stratum of time 1978 through 1998. Its first four components were published in 1981, 1983, 1986, and 1993. A fifth and final essay appears in this volume to fill a significant gap. Nowhere in the structure I have referred to was there much of anything about the mid-continent. It was there in a broad and general way. It was there in a number of timelines shot across the country in various periods, epochs, and ages. But it was not there in any kind of rock-to-rock progression. In mid-America, there are few surface rocks. That initial overall composition, purporting to traverse the nation, deliberately overlooked a large piece of the nation, Chicago to Cheyenne. If the rocks were scarce, the tectonics were scarcer. For more than a billion years, little to nothing had happened there. Even so, I felt a measure of guilt about the omission, and contemplated what to do to close that epic caesura. The answer came with the geophysical insights of recent years. The combined advances in many fields, from radiometric dating to computer science, that have enabled geologists to see the mid-continent itself forming and developing in the Precambrian eons. This was the basement of the world, under construction. I thought it a good idea to travel between Cheyenne and Chicago down there. I did so, in a way, with W. R. Van Schmoos of the University of Kansas. Because the entire composition, in all its parts, was written in the form of journeys, set pieces, flashbacks, biographical sketches, and histories of the human and lithic kind, intended as an unfolding piece of writing and not as a catalogue of geologic topics, the text firmly refrained from offering a way in which a reader could easily turn to something like the basic set-piece on plate theory or the basic set-piece on geologic time. 
In the interest of the composition, such topics were not discreetly labeled. That is why I am writing a narrative table of contents. In this inclusive volume, I am trying to have things both ways. While leaving the text unparceled and continuous, I want to explain up front not only how the project came to be, and how it evolved across the twenty years, but also what's what and where. Basin and Range, as the opening story, is the primer. It contains the long set piece on the nature and history of plate tectonics, what it is, who figured it out, and how. Basin and Range also includes the long set piece on time. The time scale we more or less take for granted did not exist in the early 19th century. In 50 years or so, it was gradually assembled by amateurs, often medical doctors, who pieced this to that, saw which came earlier, and gave names to distinctive zones of time. As you try to follow the changing face of the earth, the role of time is of course all important. And time in its quantity is very hard to sense. In college, I majored in English. In college and in high school, I took various introductory courses in physics, chemistry, biology, and geology, but only out of idle interest or to discharge distributional requirements. Like all writing, writing about geology is masochistic, mind-fracturing, self-enslaved labor, a description that intensifies when the medium is rock, what then could explain such behavior? Why would someone out of one culture try to make prose out of the other? Why would someone who majored in English choose to write about rocks? Why would a person who works for something called a humanities council and teaches a university course called Humanistic Studies 440 undertake to write about geology? I believe those questions are answered in one paragraph from Basin and Range. With brief exceptions, I have lived all my life in Princeton, New Jersey, where I was educated in the public schools and at the university. When I was 17, I went off to Deerfield Academy in Massachusetts where a geologist named Frank Conklin presented his subject in a first-rate full-year course. Even then, I was an English major designate, but in the decades of writing that followed, highly varied non-fiction writing, often involving natural scenes, the geology lay there to be tapped. Sooner or later, in many of my projects, Geology would be touched upon in one way or another, and I would ask the geologists of the Princeton faculty to help me get it right. There were some geological passages in books like The Pine Barrens and Encounters with the Archdruid, for example, and there were more in Coming into the Country, arising from a question I had long meant to ask. Obviously, the placer gold in the drainages of the Yukon was there because weather had broken up mountains 
and bestrewn the gold in the gravels of streams. That I thought I understood. But I wondered what had put the gold in the mountains in the first place. I called the geology department and talked with a professor who said he could not begin to answer the question. He had a preoccupying interest in Jurassic leaves. Call Ken DeFaze, he said. DeFaze knows, or thinks he knows. For me, DeFaze put the gold in the mountains. A year or so later, in a random conversation with this same eclectic petrologue, I asked if he thought we might find a talk-of-the-town piece for the New Yorker in a road cut near the city. We could look at the blast-exposed face of the rock, read its history, and tell it in the first-person plural. While we were still planning this short trip, I asked him if there would not be an even better story in a journey north from road cut to road cut. For example, up the Northway's stunning route through the Adirondacks. Not on this continent, said DeFaze. If you want to do that sort of thing on this continent, go west. Go across the structure. In one moment, bounding and rash, my thoughts raced to San Francisco with road cuts lining the route like billboards, each with its own message. Why not go all the way, I said to him. Two weeks later, we were looking for silver in Nevada. DeFaze has stood beside this project for twenty flattering years, always seeming to assume that my comprehension and capabilities are twice their actual size.